to the November 2018 update of our podcast, Star Trek Age of Discovery. I'm Adele Austin Anderson. And I'm Gary Anderson. And we're a married couple who are longtime fans of Star Trek. Now, on today's podcast, we're going to have an update of Discovery News, and then an update of other Star Trek-related news. And finally, we're going to review the second installment of the four mini-episode series of Star Trek Discovery called Short Treks. So, let's go ahead and start with Discovery production news. First of all, you know, after all the talk about, you know, how CBS was going to, was restricting uh, the viewing of the season one of Discovery, they've just announced that they are releasing it on two ways that you can access it. Um, You can get it on Blu-ray, and it's at... You know, at least in the U.S., it's in most of the major department stores. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you can also um, uh, get it through iTunes. And so, right. obviously, you could get that anywhere in the world. Right. Well, no. Actually, it's only iTunes in the U.S. Oh. It's not iTunes outside of the U.S. at this point. Oh, okay. But okay. the thing is, is that I think that's a tremendous change because, as you said, they had restricted access to the show prior to this mm-hmm. by only being available at, through a subscription on CBS All Access and that this year they've already released season one so now you can get access to all 15 episodes as well as some behind the scenes um, clips that are available in the season pass that you can purchase on iTunes. Um, and I, I think that's good right before the holidays seeing how the show is going to begin its second season in January. Right, so. right. So they're just trying to get more people to have seen season one. Right. And then perhaps that might translate into more sales of uh, CBS All Access right. if you're that interested and you want to see season two right away. Right, because the season pass on iTunes is thirty nine ninety nine, which is not a bad price. I mean, it's higher than they have for some of their other... Um, season passes but yeah. it's not bad i mean um and it gets people who were always arguing about that they shouldn't have to pay well they sh- they shouldn't have to go behind get another streaming service to get the to yeah so if you don't want the streaming service you can just go ahead and get the blu-ray or you right. can uh, uh, go ahead and uh, get By, it through itunes download it all through itunes you can get all and then everything. you can watch it Anytime. Anytime. And it's yours. It's yours, right? Right. So, and so nice? what other Star Trek related news do we have? Well, we have one some, some very interesting developments on those other shows that Alex Kurtzman is supposed to be de- um, developing that oh, okay. are in the Star Trek universe. Number one, we, we've got this new animated series that's been announced called Star Trek Lower Decks. And uh, the, it's it's another example of the expansion of the Star Trek franchise on CBS All Access. Mm. It's going to be a half-hour adult animated comedy series from um, the head writer for Rick and Morty, and in his and one of the executive producers, a guy named Mac Mike um, McMahon. He's a longtime Star Trek fan. And Star Trek Lower Decks, which is what it's called, is going to be focused on the support crew 
serving on one of Starfleet's least important ships. Um, so this is the first time since the original animated series back in the 70s that we have an animated series being done. This is the first time that there's a, a animated series being offered as a original show on CBS All Access. And I think since it says adult animated, that that is probably going to have a different take on than, than you would normally find right, on right. broadcast television. So is this a comedy? It is going to be a comedy because, as I said, Rick and the the guy who uh, Mike Mike McMahon is a comic writer. He's been writing for Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty is a hilarious um, animated show on um, television. So he's going to bring that kind of sardonic wit to oh, okay. to to the Star Trek show. And he's also got he's going to be working with us alongside Alex Kirksman. Heather Caden, Rod Roddenberry, who I think is Eugene Roddenberry, mm-hmm. and Trevor Roth, as well as a few others that are connected to it. So the show's going to be produced through CBSI Animation, which is their animated wing, and Secret Hideout and Roddenberry Entertainment is going to be two the other production companies. Oh, okay. And then this was really interesting because this is, at this point... The second bit of news I've got is only a rumor. Oh, okay. But there's been some conversation, it seems, between Michelle Yao and CBS All Access about developing one of those other five shows that Kirkman is supposed to be doing in the Star Trek universe and the franchise is going to be focused on Mirror Giorgio and mm. Section 31. She's been very good. I mean, she's had a couple of opportunities of late to have be interviewed um, for the release of Crazy Rich Agents and for some other for some other um, things related outside of Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And she's always found a way of incorporating that. She's been up in Toronto shooting for the second season of Star Trek Discovery. She keeps bringing it up, and she talk and she always finds a way of talking about how much she has enjoyed playing this character and how how it's really been doing. I think that 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 part, along with some of these um, rumors that I've been hearing, are giving give, give one an idea that they are developing a Section 31 mm. TV series where she would be the featured person. Okay, well, I would really look forward to that. You right, know, right. I enjoy seeing Michelle Yao. Oh, and, yeah. And she, she can work that character so oh yeah um and where else what better place for that mirror george or character than to be in section 31 and i and i also think that that yes because they're ethically and you know compromised in a lot of ways oh sure and she she'll be able to play a lot of the things that she was able to bring out in the latter part of season one and convey them and so that that'll provide us with a I think a relatively interesting way of looking at it because, you know, most of the Star Trek shows have presented Starfleet as squeaky clean, and it wasn't until Deep Space Nine when we even found out that we had a covert agency That's as right. part of Starfleet, and then they've they've carefully u- utilized it um, in other uh, other shows to give us a sense that the ideals of Starfleet aren't necessarily near and dear to everybody. Mm-hmm. 
that 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 wears the the Delta Shield. So mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting thing. And then the final thing you we you may have heard we talked about this about a month ago when the they premiered the the Deep Space Nine uh, anniversary documentary at New York Comic Con. Well, they did the UK premiere at Destination Star Trek UK just this past month. And again, it had, you know, there was a rave reviews. The um, large portion of the cast from Deep Space Nine went over there for the premiere. Mm. And they were, it was very well received. So we're, at, we're really looking forward to seeing when it's going to be released in some format where fans can get access to it. Right. So the, was the captain there? No. Oh, um, okay. Avery Brooks has made it very clear that he has done the convention of, for a while. But he's made it very clear that he's not. That's not something he's going to be doing going forward, which is a shame. So is he in the documentary? I mean, besides he is not in the, the documentary. Clips. He is in the oh, he okay. is in clips. You know, obviously a lot of his performance is captured in clips. Okay. But he does. He, he didn't participate. He didn't participate in any interviews. I think the last interview he did related to Star Trek was connected to the captains that mm. documentary that Shatner did, where he went around and talked to all the captains mm. at that point. But yeah, that's the last time that we've had any kind of comment from him about his time on the show, uh, and and I, and I think that that dis, you know I'm sorry that he is no longer willing to to go through things, but I, I you know I understand he he he's at a different point in his his life and his career, and he wants to focus on other things. Right, right. So. In any event, that's those are that's all the Star Star Trek related news that I have. So now let's uh, talk about episode two of Star Trek Short Treks, entitled Calypso. So I'm really excited to talk about this because this was such a good episode. Yeah, it was. So um, let let me just start off with the synopsis. Go ahead. So a soldier called Kraft from the planet Alcor Four is near death. In an escape pod. I mean, that's the very first scene that we see. He is pulled on board the USS Discovery, which is abandoned and operated by its computer. Now, this is not the USS Discovery of the 23rd century. In fact, we are not quite sure what century this story takes place. The only clue we have is that the computer tells us the crew abandoned the ship nearly 1,000 years ago. So at the very least, it is the 33rd century. Using the voice of a woman, um, the computer humanized itself by calling itself Zora, which I love that the name is Zora. Um, the, the voice should sound familiar because we heard it throughout the first season. It subsequently heals and feeds and, and actually... Um, keeps Kraft amused throughout the episode. Over time, the two develop a deep bond that culminates in the two recreating the final scene in the 1957 um, musical comedy uh, Funny Face, starring Fred Astaire and, and uh, Audrey Hepburn. Just when you think Zora's seduction of Kraft is complete, He's reminded of his love and devotion to his wife and his child, which he has, says he hasn't seen in almost a decade. And he feels he cannot betray them. Um, Zora then provides a spacesuit and readies a warp-capable shuttle 
that hasn't been used at all, mm-hmm. um, ever flown, and that it provided craft for for the chance, but no guarantee of him returning to his home world. Craft takes off, leaving Zora to console herself, which a virtual with a virtual representation of him, um, and with whom she then falls in love with, and she we see in the last shot them dancing in the in the sequence together. So applause, applause for this episode. You know, Gary, I don't feel like it's hyperbole for me to say that this 20-minute episode would rank as one of the best Star Trek episodes ever produced. Kudos to Pulitzer Prize-winning novelist Michael uh, Chabon for his script inspired by the story of Odysseus and Calypso, Mm -hmm. and Homer's 8th century B.C. epic poem, The Odyssey. Also, major props to director Alatunde Asus... How do you say Asunami. Asunami. And actors Aldous Hodge, who portrayed Kraft, and English actress Annabelle Wallace, uh, who's the voice of Zora, and also Sash Striga... Uh, the visual represent uh, the visual representation of Zora in the funny face scene. We also don't want to neglect to mention the haunting musical score by Jeff Russo, mm-hmm. the lighting, mm-hmm. set, editing. I mean, Gary, it was just a perfect episode all the way around. It's amazing that here you have an episode, an eighteen minute episode, that is really once again, for the most part. Um, constrained in in just a handful of sets that we've seen a, a thousand times before, and it's and they just do a wonderful job of giving them as if they're new spaces for us. Yes. So and also, there's no res- disrespect to the first short trick, Runaway, which featured Ensign Tilly. But while I came to better appreciate the Runaway episode after multiple viewings. Um, it required the viewer to overlook several significant series conventions that got in the way of one fully becoming immersed in the story. After recording our review uh, of that episode for last month's podcast, I doubt if I'll ever watch that episode again unless the subject of, the subject of Runaway, an alien named Poe, turns up in a Discovery episode during its second season. Right. Now, in contrast... With Calypso, you, I, I personally was immediately drawn into the story. You have when, when you see the escape pod and you see man malfunctioning, flashing across the street, the screen. You can also see he has a scar on his face that he is, and and that he's close to death because mm-hmm. it's clear that the the pod that he, he is in is not able to maintain its flight path, and in fact. Before the tractor beam captures it, it's going to f- actually crash into the discovery. Right. Right. And so for the, aud- for, for, the, for the listeners on the podcast, you know, let's first review the story upon how the episode is based. Okay. And like, so according to the website Greek Myths and Greek Mythology, Calypso in the Greek mythology seduced Odysseus and kept him for years away from his wife, Penelope, until Athena intervened. Eventually, Calypso 
had to let him go and even helped him to build his boat. She has both negative and positive connotations in Greek mythology as a concealer as a, and as a seductor, a seductress. Mm-hmm. Um, Calypso is a negative symbol, but as a rescuer, she is a positive one. And so you see that replicated here with Zora mm-hmm. in regards to she both saves his life. She captures his failing ship. Mm -hmm. She saves his life. Mm -hmm. But then she wants to keep him because she... She's lonely. She's lonely. She's lonely. And as you watch the Short Treks episode, you see how closely they stay connected to the the source material. Mm -hmm. So, another fact about, um, you know, the source that this is based, uh, according to Encyclopedia Britannica... Homer portrayed Odysseus as a man of outstanding wisdom and shrewdness, eloquence, resourcefulness, courage, and endurance. And this is truly the case with the depiction of craft in this episode. When he awakens in the sickbay of the USS Discovery wearing nothing more than briefs, we see he is tall and has the chiseled physique of a Greek warrior. Yeah, that's the money shot. Yeah, that was the money shot. He immediately searches for something he can use as a weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, when he gets it, you know, this rod, whatever it was that whatever he found out. Whatever device it was. I mean, yeah. he twirls it right. like a weapon. So he can feel how well it would feel in his hand. He gets the weight of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he's definitely. prepared in the event that he has to fight himself out of here. And he is suspicious of Zora's voice right. when she attempts to converse with him via the ship's intercom system. Right, because he she, he initially thinks she's a human who's keeping her distance right. because she's fearful of him. Right, right. That that he's well he does he doesn't even know how many people are on right, the right, ship. Right, 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 exactly. All yeah. all he knows is that she's the only one that's engaging with him. That's right. Right. And although the compute although a computer, Zora is appropriates the type of human emotions and customs as she communicates to this with this displaced man. I mean, she gives off the impression that she is a human being as opposed to um, a responding mechanical device. Uh, amongst those traditions, she focuses on knowing, wanting to know his true name. She does not accept his first or, or his first statement and from this initially suspicious man who quips about his name is Coral. However, when pressed, he tells he tells it it's not tradition in his world to provide his true name, but there um, are those who call him Kraft. All right. And, and actually, that's um, quite an, you know, an, an African custom. Yeah. You know, where you you just don't when you're born you just don't get a name. People have to watch you first and mm-hmm. see, mm-hmm. you know, what kind of characteristics you have and then a name comes from that. And so that's a, it seems like that's the same way on this world too. Yeah. That people watch you, they see who you are and then they would name you. And there's also some phrases he uses that I think are very interesting. He talks about the long ago when he talks about the past. He uses he he, he does and he never gives like specific time frames. That's know? right. He doesn't give star dates or anything like that, which mm-hmm. is really kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So Zora accepts the name for now and asks if being crafty is a quality prized by his people. 
When he seems reluctant to provide more information, she informs him that she knows he is more than a stranded traveler. She has identified the tattoo on his back as that of the Cyclops Owl, which lives only on the planet Alcor 4. Yet she was not aware the planet was inhabited by humans. And that, that, that tattoo looks amazingly similar to the figure, the, the red angel figure that we've seen in the trailers for season two of Star Trek The Discovery. Yeah, we don't know if it is. We don't know if it is. But, 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 it, but it does look similar in the outline of mm-hmm, it looks similar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She then tells him, your wounds were pulse burns. You had a suit of heavy blast armor and a well-stocked weapons rack. You're a soldier. She adds that she even knows he stole the escape pod he was in from his enemies. So Kraft re, um, retorts a, a reluctant one, he, that, that he's a reluctant um, warrior. This time, this again is in keeping with the Greek story with, of Odysseus. You know, through the episode, Kraft has flashbacks of his wife and his son as the image that he, he saw when he left them behind and went on to war with the um, Vidrash. Mm-hmm. He, he's been fighting for a decade. And he longs to reunite with his family. Again, just like with Odysseus, he's been fighting for years. He wants to return to his home and his family. In Homer's story, Odysseus reluctantly leaves his wife and and child behind to fight his enemies. And while uh, a captive of Calypso, he yearns to return home. He repeatedly says that. Mm -hmm. And for the moment, Kraft appears to be taken aback by the fact that Zora knows so much about him, although he appears to be a man of few words. And so she's been able to glean all this through his behavior and through other information that she's been able to glean from the, the resources he has around him. Mm-hmm. He then pries into her sense of being by asking, how long have you been out here waiting for the crew to return from wherever they went? And she answers, almost a thousand years... I spent most of it evolving myself. And I want to take a moment to stop right there because I think this is interesting. She, Zora, presents herself as more advanced than any other computer system we've seen in any other Star Trek. Well, Star Trek at that period. You know, so so when you go to the original series, the computer doesn't seem like it would be that advanced. No, it doesn't. Nor does the... um, M5, nor does any of the other systems that we've seen in any of the other series that have carried on going right. forward. So, so you wonder how she was able to evolve herself, or right. was it a sort of thing like what Viger did, yeah. did, did? Was there another entity right, exactly. that, that melded was, That's exactly her? where I was going. I was thinking, of, was there an alien technology that was that was incorporated that right. she, over the, over those thousand years that allowed her to be able to unleash this because she has she has emotional responses yes that to two two things he says and she responds in an emotional manner and that's just not a capability of any of the technology that we have of the original series time timeline. That's right. And so we only have to think that some way she perform her her improving herself as she calls it must have been with something um 
something external to what was available on the ship. Right. Right. Okay. So, after she says she spent the time involving herself, she then adds, honestly, it was nice to have some alone time. So, Kraft, Kraft responds to her liar, which gives you the impression that he's able to read her as well as she's able to read That's him. right. And that that's, again, that's an interesting response because he's reading her as... He would a human, another human being. That's right. Uh, Kraft continues to seek a way so that he can leave the ship, but Zora rejects every conceivable idea. Although the captain who gave her the the orders to, to is long dead, she contends she cannot set course for his home world since she was ordered to maintain the position. Mm-hmm. The escape pod that he that he arrived in is no is beyond repair and so he can't use that. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, the only um there's only one warp capable shuttle remaining in, in that's operational in the ship, but it was it was a, delivered to them before the crew abandoned the discovery and it's never been on a journey. So there's no idea how well it would function in the journey that he needs to get to Alcor. Especially for. after a thousand years. After a thousand years of no use. Right. No use. It's just been sitting there. Mm-hmm. And so, so, uh, so seemingly it appears that he too, like, like Odysseus, is hopelessly stranded. And Kraft allows Zora to take care of him. Um, she cooks special meals for him and he finds... He finds ways, finding ways also to um, occupy his time after she has felt she has established a significant bond with him. She shares the final scene from her favorite movie, Funny Face. It's quite apparent why this is Zora's favorite scene. Like in most romantic comedies, these films focus on two seemingly incompatible people who come to love each other. Mm-hmm. Here, a middle-aged photographer played by Fred Astaire is the love interest of a book clerk turned fashion model, Audrey Hepburn, who is 30 years younger than him. He's dressed in a white trench coat and she in a white wedding dress. Yeah. They dance to the popular song, uh, by Ira and George Gershwin that was a hit in the original 1927 Broadway musical also starring Fred Astaire at the time um, and although the, the, it's played as instrumental here not all, not completely but for, for most of this scene um, most of the film's contemporary viewers would have to know the words to the, to the song first introduced in the Broadway musical in 1927 so the that we hear them as they're walking away when they when she when she first shows the sequence to craft you know it's wonderful it's marvelous that you should care for me it's awful nice paradise so what i love to see You've made my life so glamorous. You can't blame me for feeling amorous. Oh, it's it's wonderful. It's marvelous that you should care for me. 
Okay, so our listening audience did not know that Gary Andrews was, was going to sing for <laughs> us, but that was fine. Thank you, Gary, for doing that. So, obviously, you heard the lyrics. There is no subtlety here. But then, after this, comes my absolute favorite scene in this episode. So, there's this close-up shot of Kraft looking wistfully outside one of the ship's windows. Zora asks what he would be doing if he was back home. He then describes describes the sights and sounds of fishing on a boat upon the water. As he speaks, she delights him by recreating the sounds of this engaging experience. Those sounds are swiftly moving water, the wind blowing, and the call of a bird. That, that's, that's, um, that is one of the birds on his home world. Yeah. Exactly. Performed under dim lighting, this is their most intimate scene to this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Almost brought to tears, Kraft tells her, "You're a good woman, always doing nice things for me." And th- and that's such a that's just a beautiful yeah, line. beautiful line, and it's just a beautiful. I mean, he plays that so so well because it's the the generosity of compassion yes. for her to help create a moment for him yes that allows him to experience his life on his homeworld that's right that's right you know and that it's just it's just a it, again it's an as a human it's a human behavior that this computer is emulating that's right that's right so now we want to return the favor so he he wants to um this recreate Zora's favorite Scene from Funny Face. He meticulously learns the dance steps, although that it is some challenging him. He doesn't seem to be a natural dancer, <laughs> but he. But amazingly, he does get it. Uh-huh. Um, he has the replicator reconstruct a stairs costume, so he has the white trench coat. And when ready, he invites Zora to join him, and he's able to get the the lighting just perfect. And when she appears, she initially appears as the image of Audrey Hepburn. And he stops the simulation. He tells her, no, Zora, not her, you. He asked her to convey the image that she sees for herself. Zora responds, there is no me, no visual me. I don't have a body. I don't have a face. And Kraft responds, you do in my imagination. I sh- I'm sure you do in yours too. So Zora soon appears in Hepburn's white wedding dress as an ethnically ambiguous Mediterranean-looking woman. Uh, she looks like she could be Greek or Syrian, even Somalian, with her olive skin. Craft scenes please and dances with her as if they were lovers. At the end of the routine... Their faces move toward each other as if they were about to kiss. But then, images of Kraft's wife and child flash before him, and he can't go through with it. He stops the simulation and tells Zora, I'm sorry. Zora pleads with him. She tells him, Kraft, Kraft, you weren't doing anything wrong. I'm not really a person. You know that. It doesn't mean anything. And Kraft's response is, again, the one word that they continually use with one another. This knowingness, he says, liar. Mm. 
and leaves her alone. He knows that there was something more to that. And he also knows that she is, she, it did mean something to both of to them. To both of them, yeah. yeah. It's, a tr- it's, it's true romanticism um, as it's presented in this episode. And there's, a, not, into, not, not today's romantic shows in which the hero or the heroine makes love to whoever is convenient. This is romanticism that's based on an older form of romanticism, like uh, Cyrano de Bergerac, mm. um, um, Rick in Casablanca, um, or or the characters in um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. This sense of love, that there's a higher principle that keeps the hero or heroine from consummating their relationship with someone he loves because there's something in the way. There's something in the right, way, right. right. And indeed, Kraft has grown to love Zora, but his love for his family and his pledge of fidelity to them supersedes his feelings that he's cultivated for Zora. Mm-hmm. Um, he makes his this, this decision not to pursue any more intimate relationships with Zora, even though at the time he has no prospects of even re- leaving Discovery. That's right. So that's going to change the dynamics of how they in- interact on this ship if they're go- if they're going to be trapped here for the rest of his life. Right. So Zora loves Kraft, but she realizes she must let him go. That means she must let him try to get back home. So she replicates a soldier spacesuit and prepares a shuttlecraft for travel. Right. In the final scene between the two, Kraft is looking fine, <laughs> fine, fine in a snugly fitting gold suit. He tells her, Zora, I don't know where you are or exactly what you are. I don't know if I'll make it home or what I'll find when I get there. But I know you saved my life and healed my body. And you reminded me what it means to be human. Mm. So as he prepares to leave, Zora decides to try once more the question she's longed to know. She asks Kraft on your world, if we were lovers, would you tell me your name, your true name? And he responds, if we were lovers on my world, you would give me my true name. Mm, mm, I know that's right. I that know that's right. Was I know that's up. right. I mean, the other lies were really good. But that but one, that one right there. You want to use that? You want to find a time to lo- use that? If okay. we were lovers, you would give me my my true, true name. Woo, So Zora then says, "Well, then I already did." Right, and, right. And so then the hatch to the shuttlecraft closes, and you see Zora has named it Funny Face. Right. So, so wonderful place as she has an image of Kraft dancing with her um, forever. It could possibly be forever or as long as the energy lasts on this ship. Yeah, as long as the lithium crystals keep working. That's right. So tell me how could you have possibly improved this episode? It was perfect. It was just simply perfect. You and I think it was perfect. I was... I was really geeked for this episode prior to it premiering. I know um, Michael Chabon's writing. 
Um, I, and I'm ecstatic that he is the executive producer of the Picard episode. Oh, yes, now yes. you mean because now now everybody else can see what caliber of writing he's going to bring to that show. Oh yeah, and I mean it's really so clear. now yeah. now you're really excited. Exactly, about, exactly. Boy, that's going to be a good show. That's so so, be so for me, show. the only things that that make this episode bittersweet is does how is that how is how are we going to be re, reconnected with craft how are we going to be reconnected in some way with alcor 4 i mean all this information that we've received in this in this 18 minute piece which wasn't a lot did give us some ideas that there some of these things may be incorporated in the season two well i would be sad if we don't see him again i, I would too i would because too. he was such a great character right 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 and I, and I don't know how it would happen but you know you you want it to happen yes so, yes you know you want to find somewhere where they use this guy I mean it was 18 minutes but it was so richly it was drawn so, it was so well acted yeah. it was so well yeah. written yeah so. yeah. so so anyway, I I, I would hate to I would hate to be be without this character in some way, shape, or form. I know that's right. I know that's. And right. I don't know how they're gonna bridge the thousand years. I don't know how how this could. And and the other thing is, we don't. When Zora tells him that it's the crew that abandoned the ship a thousand years ago, we don't ago, know which crew. We don't know which crew. We right. don't know if it's the current crew that we're watching in the adventures of the TV show, or it could have been some subsequent crew. Right. Yeah, we have no idea. So. We and and it and it does help make sense that the ship, the Discovery which we never hear about again, could have disappeared for a thousand years. Right, for some reason. For some reason. So that that that's not that's not hard to fathom. And that nobody went looking for it for some reason. Right, or couldn't find it. Or couldn't there, find it. Or, could, or whatever. Find it. Right. So um, we could continue to talk about this. I know this. we could. I know that personally I have probably seen this episode like ten times now. Oh, wow. So Well, that's because you just want to see... Aldous Hodge with Well, with, no, that, that's the only thing. I just love that's that. A, I, I, again, my favorite scene is him talking about fishing yeah. and her recreating yeah. that moment for him. That is just such a beautiful, beautiful scene. Because it's a giving scene. It's I mean, a giving it, you scene. do something for the benefit of someone else without yes. without anticipation of any anything in return. That's right. And that's what that's what that's what is the basis of love. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So, I guess we need to move on. I guess so. And so, um, we're looking. We're also looking forward to the next short track. Right, right. This, is, this will be episode three, and it's called The Brightest Star. And this is the summary that they um, release. Uh, it says, Before he was the first Kelpian to join Starfleet, Saru lived a simple life on his home planet of Kaminar with his father and sister. Young Saru full of ingenuity and a level of curiosity uncommon among his people, yearns to find out what lies beyond his village, leading him on an unexpected path. So this episode will premiere Thursday, December 6th, and less than a month, and so we're looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. I think this is going to be the next, the second best out of the four. Um, you know. Well, it'll be the second best out of the three we see so far. I still am looking forward. I know to you it, are. But... I know you are. Well, I'm, not, okay. I'm not holding out a whole lot of hope. Well, on that we'll see. <laughs> okay. We'll see. Okay. All right. It, you know, he wrote it too, right? Rain Wilson. Okay. So. I'm just saying. That does. 
Okay. Anyways. Anyways. Anyway, it's 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 not high on my list. Let's just put it that way. Okay. In closing, until 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 next time when we come together on the pod, um, like, subscribe, and follow Star Trek Discovery on Twitter at Star Trek AOD or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Trek AOD or at our website, Star Trek AOD.net, where you where we offer up additional articles on Star Trek canon and interesting sidebar topics and, and other aspects of the show and, and the franchise. Also email us at Star Trek AOD at gmail.com. So until then, live long and prosper.